Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the New Life Church Rewind podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here with Pastor David Sangster. Hey, everybody. And we just want to welcome you to the—this is the final episode in what we're calling the Rewind Season 1. Yeah, season finale. So we had a goal to try to create this podcast in its initial form to just kind of— get the people that attend New Life Church from one season of small group through the summer until we start up small group again. So we don't know what the future of this podcast is, but for now, this is uh, the season finale, Mm -hmm. and we just want to thank you for joining us every week. Uh, I'll speak for myself. I thought uh, this was a blessing for me to prepare this and participate in it, and I hope you've enjoyed your time with us. Yeah, and Pastor um, Dave, Life Group start up next week. And so we we really did it. We made it through. So we made it. I think this is like 13 episodes yeah. or something like that. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. And I hope I hope you liked it too. So keep this uh, podcast channel open in whatever um, you know format you listen into. We might do a couple specials here and there maybe around Christmas or something like that. So and, and we'll keep you updated. Yeah. So with that out of the way, this is actually a part two right. episode. So we're closing the series on how to pray. Mm-hmm. And this is part two of a sermon series, a sermon called The Cadence. The Cadence, yep. So what was the big idea of the second half of this message? Right. So um, for the two parts, the the big idea for both of them was the idea the Scripture teaches us that we should develop a continuous, that was the first week, continuous, and then a persistent, which is what we're talking about today, persistent cadence of prayer. So we're going to be talking about uh, what it looks like to be persistent in prayer, what it looks like if it's necessary, why do we do this, should we do this? And so that's kind of what we talked about. And one of the hardest parts about dealing with persisting in prayer is that we don't know what God's going to do. And I just want to ask you right off the bat here, as a culture, as a people, Mm -hmm. are we uncomfortable with God's sovereignty? And what I mean by that is like, we go four weeks, we're learning about prayer, yep. but as we learn in this sermon, this last one, there are going to be prayers that are unanswered, mm-hmm. and we don't always have a good grasp on why, but yeah. God is sovereign in that absence, or as we perceive it, absence too. Are we uncomfortable with God's sovereignty? I think we are, especially, especially I, know, I know I pick on this a lot, but especially in the West, we're very uncomfortable with this. Uh, we'll probably tackle a little bit more as to why we're uncomfortable later uh-huh. on in the podcast. But um, I think we, if you look at Scripture and you look at past cultures, you see a much more uh, a level of comfort with God answering prayer in the way He wants to. I mean, uh, we have this mentality that you know God is only sovereign when He works around how we want him to work. Right, like if he meets our expectations, we're like, I love that God's sovereign. Right, and and if he does it, we start immediately questioning his sovereignty. Okay. Um, and I, I think that's a problem because we have, I, I know we use this trope a lot, but we do have a level of genie in the bottle syndrome to our prayer life in the West. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think a lot of that is due to our affluence. I think our affluence creates arrogance and i think uh, if we have a little issue we go to god and god's like that's you know 
John Chris did this whole stand-up bit the other day where he's like, yeah, I'm not praying for that. People ask you, ask yeah. you to pray for something. It's like, no, no, I'm not praying for that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring that to the God of the universe. You know. So I thought it was kind of funny, but the concept is. But it's funny because it's true to some degree that sometimes people have things they want to pray about that are clearly not inside of God's will, right? Or even inside of God's will, or even yeah, or even like important. I mean. I think they're important to us. Everything's important to us. But like in a, in a cosmic scheme of things, when God is sovereign over all creation, all universe, he's just kind of like, and, and he, you know, we use this verse a lot, but when he talks to Paul, he says, no, no, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to carry this thing. I mean, you got to remember, every single one of the apostles was, was martyred except for John. Right, and they, and they tried to kill him. Right. So Church like, history says, so yeah. If, if I'm sure they prayed for you know to be delivered from these things and sometimes it works so they were in prayer uh, in prison Paul and uh, Paul and Silas they're singing they're praying and they get released from prison but eventually their release from prison to end up in prison again was at least in Paul's was case the, was death the release was death so so all I'm saying is this is that we have to be careful that we don't make God small in our, in our prayer life. We have to understand that he cares for us because that's very scriptural, that he wants the best for us, but sometimes the best for us is just relying on him and, and walking through the situations that, that we come into this life. And I, that's why I think it's a problem in the West because our affluence makes us uncomfortable with that. So just a quick follow-up on that. Do you think that uh, someone who lives in the West and the in like this millen this past mm -hmm. whatever generation of people, mm -hmm. are we particularly uncomfortable with God's sovereignty? Like, is this or has there been like a re like a throughout history? Do cultures like kind of grow, become affluent, and then they that's when this uncomfort? Are we unique in that way? No, we're not unique. I think we. Uh have taken it to a whole new level. <laughs> you know, I don't think we're unique in the, the idea that we are uncomfortable with God's sovereignty. I think not being able to wrap our brains around God's sovereignty automatically makes you uncomfortable with it, right? Because you just don't know, right? He's that big. He's God. He's the, like, it's just, it's just another plane. But I do think that due to some very, uh, I think, heretical teaching, and mm -hmm. also uh, that, that really stems from a, uh, a affluent way of thinking about life, a entitlement type of a, a thought. I mean, you go, to, you go to the churches in Africa, and they're just, I mean, they're living in mud huts. They're, they're, you know, they have uh, very little bit of clothes, and, and you should see their churches, man. They're just excited to yeah. be a part of the family of God. And... Uh, and they deal with they deal with tragedy, way more than we do. For sure, people are dying, family members are dying, things like this. But but their hope is not in this life. Their hope is in the next life. So they uh, they don't have that same issue with the sovereignty of God as we do. So do you think comfort? And and we're just speaking generally. I yeah. mean, there's plenty of people who they're listening right now. And they say. Yeah, that's great. I don't feel that comfortable. Like this is going on. This mm -hmm, is going mm -hmm. on. Maybe you have an illness, but just general, just generally yep. speaking, mm -hmm. is comfort 
kind of like a veil over our prayer life. Mm-hmm. Comfort, like we Com- pray for comfort. Or, or if you are comfortable, yep. it kind of, it, it almost puts a lid on your prayers that because I'm materially comfortable, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pray big praise, prayers and just let mm-hmm. God's sovereignty take over. I, yeah. I, you know, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, uh, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So in the very call of Jesus to his disciples was this idea that we need to be, uh, we need to be willing and able to deal with discomfort uh, for the sake of, of God. You know, uh, when he comes to the rich young ruler, he's like, it's hard for people who are comfortable, who are to, to even desire the kingdom of God because it does take a level of struggle, you know, but then he promises to be with us, you know, so it, it's, it's definitely a thing that we as an affluent society um, struggle with because most of our attention and most of our time is spent on making ourselves more comfortable, m- more wealthy, more affluent in, uh, in the things that we have and do, and little, little discomforts frustrate. I, ha- I hate when people say this, like, oh, that's a first world problem, because it's still a problem, right? It's still something we struggle with mm-hmm. in- internally, but, but they're not wrong either, right? A lot of our, our world is, is, uh, is pretty insulated from, from the, the struggles that other places deal with, where they really rely on God. So we'll switch topics a little bit, but I want to ask you, does God answer prayers that we have the ability to answer for ourselves? So I'll, I'll mm-hmm. ask that a different way. You, you talked about in the sermon a bit how you might pray, God, I want to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. But then all you do is act in such a way that is counter. Mm-hmm. Uh, a counterattack right. on that prayer, mm-hmm. and we say, "Well, God's not answering my prayer." Mm-hmm. But this Drop parti- the Cheetos, right? <laughs> this particular person has everything in their means right. to to answer the prayer that they're asking God mm-hmm. for. Does God even? I don't want to say it, but does He even? We know He hears them, but is it almost like, as the kids say, like He leaves that one on read? Yeah. Like He's like, yeah. no. Yep. I I, I think. I think it comes down to our what is what is our ability. Um, the Bible said he's he's never going to put you through something that you can't handle with him. That's a real verse. Yes. So I think it depends on your ability, and God knows you. Um, but I, I really think that we we have shrugged personal responsibility in our culture and kind of thrown it on God and be like, "Whoa, he didn't answer me." So so is it more of a framing problem, meaning? You could say, you could pray for God to help you lose weight. Mm-hmm. But what you could also do is pray, God, if it is in your will, help me to be disciplined. Help mm-hmm. me to be vigilant or help me to, you know, maybe keep the reason why you want to lose weight in front of you. Say, oh, mm-hmm. is that a... The motivations, the things. Is that a better way to frame the prayer in a sense that maybe you'll you'll hear from God in a different way instead of just saying praying for the outcome you say no pray for the process right. because then that because if we're praying for the outcome we're really using prayer as a magic spell mm-hmm. and it's not you know we are we are completely uh, free agents 
in this world. God is not going to force himself. If you want to eat junk food all day, God's not going to, you know, cause the calories to not stick. That's just not, that's not how he made his world, right? So this is, junk food, is fat is an example, but like, I think there's other things too. Like, we just got to be careful that we're not, uh, you know, well, I didn't lose weight this week or I didn't, you know, God must not be hearing my prayers. That's, 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 that's superficial. It's silly. Um, we should be praying for things like, you know, uh, God to give us the ability to, um, to have the strength to resist temptation and these types of things. Those are the things that God said he'll be there for, but he's not going to magically, you know, it's like a prayer liposuction. <laughs> it's not yeah, going to happen that and, way. And, and for the record too, I don't want to belittle someone who's like saying, I have this thing that other people view as trivial. Right. Like, cause there's some people who you say, Oh, I'll pray and lose weight. And they look at you and they're like, you know, we, we were kind of mm-hmm. joking, put down the Cheetos. But, and, and some people like, you know, they're really going through it. And that is crushing right. in, the, in their world. And that's what I mean by saying like, God knows you and he knows what you're able to do. Right. Right. Uh, he knows what part of you is not being disciplined and what part of you is a, is a, is a psychological or physical struggle. Right. And you're just a broken person approaching the right. throne of grace saying, I need, right. So I need he knows thing. the person, but I, you know, there is a disproportional amount of people in the West who are overweight. It's just the way it is right now. Um, so some of them are struggling legitimately and other are just, just need to stop going through the drive through. And so, in this, and I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your favorite fast food, by the way? Oh, we'll get this out of the way. Fast food. Like, right now, it's like last meal on earth, but it's got to be Ooh, at, a, but it's got to be at a drive-through or cooked in less than five minutes. Like, oh man, I would probably say some th- some kind of a spicy chicken something. Yeah. Like, I think uh, fast food heaven for me. If you'll give me this one. Five guys. Does that count? Oh, that does. If that counts That's as good. fast food. You get that out in five minutes, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If it's the apocalypse is coming, you <laughs> run in there, just get it. and <laughs> Bacon cheeseburger all the way. Nice. The biggest fry they have with the biggest drink they have. And throw a few more in the bag. Yeah. That's. That, I think that's fast food heaven <laughs> yeah, for me. Yeah, I think, I, I think I've had some really good. I mean, I want to be like holy and say like, you know, Chick-fil-A because that's like overrated Christian chicken. That's so <laughs> overrated. <laughs> Uh, uh, but not uh, the way they treat you, but the food itself. Yeah. So, <laughs> so overrated. I don't know. I, 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 I think, yeah, five guys is good. There's a bunch of good stuff yeah. out there. All right. Uh, but it's not really good for you. <laughs> so I want to talk about the prosperity gospel for a little bit. All right, let's go there. And I know this is one that's, that's kind of in your craw a bit. Mm. So a lot of these, um, verses that we've been reading mm-hmm. throughout this series, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, go through the whole litany right. of them. But there's a lot of preachers who use those same verses you are yep. to create this idea that, I guess how we'll def- uh, define the prosperity gospel, there's this idea that like you name it, you claim it, God wants you to be healthy, God wants you to be wealthy, God wants you to be all these things. And that's partially, th- there is a, there's a, a bit of truth to that, that God wants what's best for his children. But how do we... Um, I just want to know how does this series tie into like that prosperity gospel in the sense of how do we warn the people listening that that's a false doctrine? Yeah. Yeah, I, 
I, this, this particular topic gets me in trouble a lot because um, especially among charismatic circles, uh, this why, is something why, that is really... Just real quick, why would a, a more charismatic um, person or a congregation be a little bit more sensitive to this prosperity gospel teaching? Because that's where it's that's the circles that are that, that it comes that, out of coming okay. out of yeah you're not getting that in 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 your you know uh, reformed churches or Baptist churches it's coming more from charismatic circles which yeah. I, which I am in and I and I and I love that mm-hmm. but um, yeah this is definitely something that we got we got to address we got to talk about because um, when we look at scripture when, a lot of the passages that are used in prosperity doctrine are are verses that were were given to Israel and have now been brought forward as a, uh, you know, a talisman for the church today. And uh, I think we got to be careful. I and mean, you saw how Israel ended up. I mean, th- th- a lot of this uh, talk about, you know, the kingdom of God and all these things, when Jesus was on the earth, he flipped these things on their head. You know, we have to look at scripture in the context in which it's given, not uh, cherry pick verses that meet our desires and our expectations as affluent people in society. Um, I, I've known too many people who have uh, been in this circle, and they, you know, they will claim houses and and cars and all these things. Uh, I, I'm thinking of one in particular. And it just destroyed their family, literally destroyed them. They were in so much debt. Uh, they, um, the, the husband and wife were on the, uh, just struggling to, to uh, make ends meet. They were working so much, but, but God, you know, God provided. You know, God made these things happen. No, the bank made that happen. I mean, anybody can do that. It's not smart, <laughs> you know, but it's just really, we got to be really careful that we don't, you know, when the when scripture talks about the blessings of God and the prosperity, it's all uh, very much around his presence and who he is and his work in the world, not about money. Could you give us an example of um, a verse that can be used mm-hmm. in such a way to present? Um, well, Matthew 7 is one of them. Okay. In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, we used it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Right. Ask and it will be given to you. If you just say that, without without any context to it, um, another one would be First uh, John five. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if I ask for a million dollars, yep, and I don't get it, did I just not pray hard enough? Right. Or John 14, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So these are, these are passages that are, are taken. Jesus did say them, but we have to look at the message of Jesus, the, the, the messaging throughout his ministry to understand what he's actually saying here. Um, I think this was when I was uh, doing my, my studying uh, for my ministerial education. Someone said, Text without context mm-hmm. is a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. Right. And I think every cult in the world is based on that, to- that concept right there. 
Right. So we can, we can, it's very difficult when you, when you see these prosperity preachers Mm -hmm. and they pull the verse out, it's a very myopic look at a verse. And then as you start to zoom out, you, you see a bigger picture that all of these things that we ask from, from God or for Mm -hmm. God, for our families, they're in the context of what God wills and in his sovereignty and right. the kingdom of God. Right. And I just wanted to address it because... Well, when we think about just as an overarching concept, um, God made human beings to do certain things, to subdue the earth, to work it, to do... Uh, he did not give human beings the Garden of Eden to just sit and be served and to... It was, it was meant for them to enjoy. So there's that part of like... God wants you to have good things. He wants you to have a good life. Right. There's not just like monkeys and parrots dropping fruit in their lap. Right. And, and the mandate whatever. was for them to work, to to subdue the earth, to make something of it. Right. To be productive. Right. So then we fast forward to the New Testament, and we have the same messaging from Christ. When he talks about the parable of the talents, he gives one person ten, one person five, the other person one, mm-hmm. and he is furious with the one who just expected God to just be okay with him doing nothing. He's like, I knew you were, I knew you, you know, you're a hard man. So I just, here's, here's it back. He's like, take that from that person, give it to the person who's, so I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to allow people who are going to, to create, uh, to, uh, achieve or work at the function for which I created them to subdue, to work, to, to be smart, to, to use the thing I've given them. And I'm going to prosper them by giving them more to work, more. To, so, it's, so this prosperity doctrine is not a concept uh, of us just receiving from God without doing any you know, work. He says, I'm going to give to those who are going to use what I've given them to increase the blessings that I have for them. And that's not always money. We always, and that comes from our affluent society in the West. We're always thinking of blessing as being financial or monetary. Right. When blessing is way more than that. Um, Why in our society are there more people who are depressed and suicidal when we're living at the most affluent level of humans have in the history of the world? I'll tell you why. Because their blessing, because their thoughts are all on on uh, monetary things, on on financial, keeping up with the Joneses, all these types of things, and that is not a good quality of life. You know, it's funny. There's that axiom, or makes me furious, by the way. Yeah, or <laughs> what is it? Maybe it's an idiom or whatever. Yep. You know, people say, "Oh, you can't take it with you." <laughs> but you know, it's funny. That actually is one of the truest things. Like, so Christ tells us to store up our treasures in, in right. heaven, and the things that we can take with us to mm-hmm. heaven in this. You know, speaking about it loosely is, right. you know, the relationships you have, the 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 things you did for the kingdom of God. Those right. are the treasures we store up in in heaven. Right. So the Bible is not all about money. stewardship, not about accumulating wealth. All about stewardship. That that's very well put. Because uh, whatever He gives you, you are supposed to then steward it for the kingdom, not for your own wealth. And he will give blessings to those who will steward it properly because he knows that they're not going to just keep it and, and uh, sit on it. They're going to reinvest it for the kingdom. That's how you build treasures in heaven. That's the difference between this prosperity doctrine 
and a biblical understanding of stewardship and blessing. It, 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 it's similar, but it reminds me too of even like being a parent. Mm-hmm. In a certain way, you're talking about stewardship. The parent's job is literally just to look after one of God's children for mm-hmm. a little while. Like, right. like you could look at your, your daughter at night or whatever, or your son and say, Right. In a certain sense, it's it the most important job for me. It, I'm just looking after mm-hmm. you for him right. for a little while. It's right. stewardship. The, even your your very own children aren't really yours. No. Nothing is really yours. They're God's. So that really speaks against yeah. this whole idea of a prosperity gospel. Yeah, and I just I just don't see it from a uh, a biblical standpoint of the the people we think as the greatest people in the Bible. I was just talking the New Testament right now. The apostles. They were not wealthy. They stewarded the blessings of God. They gave it away. They they put themselves in a line. And they ended up all being persecuted and most of them dying uh, for, the, for the gospel. Um, if we would consider them to be failures underneath a prosperity doctrine concept. It, and it makes me think of... Um, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Yep. That it, 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 you talk about this. It's not that wealth was frowned upon, no. but what you do with your wealth, oh, you it. Absolutely. It, it, it was frowned upon. And it's like, I mean, and they paid a serious price for that. I mean, they, what was, they, what, they, what they, does they, Peter they, say? He says, while it was still yours, it was yours. Like you didn't have to do anything with it, but once you gave it to God, and you held some back? That's sin. Right. That's the real issue there. Right. It wasn't. It, was, it wasn't the, the actual. They could have kept all dollar of dollar amount, and it would have been right with God. But the fact that they sold it, and, and they they sold their property, and they said they were going to give the full portion, and only gave part of it for their popularity's sake and or they, their name. They were almost stealing some of God's glory from it's him. Not okay. Yeah. So I, I really think that we have to understand, and I don't think that other cultures in the past have dealt with this like we are. This prosperity doctrine thing is a plague, and I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm, if, you, if you're into that, I think you just, God love you. It doesn't, I don't think it's a salvation issue, but I do think it's a doctrinal issue that you need to really grapple with because it's, um, I, think it's, I think it's gonna hinder the church and, and, and the potency the church has in our culture. And so speaking of bad doctrine, mm-hmm. we also talked a little bit about how prayer interacts with uh, demonic or evil right. um, interference, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I just want to ask you, this is just a thought experiment, but if prayer is participation in the spiritual warfare that we, we most of the time we don't really see, mm-hmm. it, and that's by the grace of God, like I've right. said before, that we don't see this war that's happening. So even if a prayer is unanswered, in in the sense of, I asked, a, I, I prayed, and I don't get the result that I anticipated mm-hmm. or wanted. Isn't even just the act of praying a prayer answered, in the sense that you are participating? Basically, is there is there really ever truly an unanswered prayer in the sense that because you you did what you're supposed to do, you were obedient, you prayed, mm-hmm. you had communion with your father, right. that. You, just that alone, participating in the spiritual war, made that prayer effective, worthwhile, good. I, I think it depends on who you are. It's not a dependent on God. It's dependent on your mindset. 
take it from a relational standpoint. If my daughter comes up and sits on the couch with me Mm -hmm. and we're talking about stuff and then she asks me for something that I know is just, it's, it's not going to happen. Like it's not good for her. It's not going to be, I mean, she's sincerely thinking that this is a good idea. I'm going to say, no, honey, that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. That, and she may even get upset with me, but the moments of being in relationships, sitting with each other, talking, building a relationship, her asking the question, why? Why is this not good for me? Why should I not do this? Why is this not okay? And at the bare minimum, that's building trust. Trust. It's relationship. building uh, right relationship and, uh, you know, the a space for there to be the freedom to wrestle with God too. Absolutely. It, and I think that's one of the things like um, – we, we we talk about per, persistence in prayer. That's the today's thing. Um, the Bible tells us to, to ask, to keep on asking. And the question is, when do you stop? Well, when when do you stop? When do you stop? When when there's been an answer to the prayer, either in the affirmative, or something has shifted. Uh, we talked about the shifts. You know, it could be. It could be uh, something has shifted in the spiritual realm, the, the, the sp- uh, spiritual warfare battle. It could be something that shifts in me. You know, I fought with God and, you know, I wasn't happy with the outcome. And so I kept on praying. Mm-hmm. But I, over time, I'm seeing that God is working in me that you know, that was really a selfish prayer or unnecessary prayer. Or he might just do what he did to, to Paul and say, no, my grace is sufficient. We're going to be OK. I'll be with you in this, but this is not going away. So that is an answer. The answer is no, but it's still an answer. It's weird. I guess just off the top of my head here, sometimes, like when you talk about Paul and his affliction or his thorn in his side or whatever you want to call it, isn't sometimes perseverance in the face of an unanswered prayer a testimony like no other testimony? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. And that's one of those things. I think... uh, because the, because it's the uncomfortable, naysaying. we don't want it. But but God never promised that you would never have troubles. In fact, He says exactly the opposite. He says, "In this life, you will have tribulations." But, but look at my faith, despite right. this thing. But be of good cheer. I mean, you can have tribulations, but come on. I mean, I just I I'm not I'm not saying I'm great at this either. By the way, I'm working on this because transactional prayer has been modeled for me in the past and I'm trying to get over that mm-hmm. concept of transactional prayer and be in a more relational prayer space in my own life but I'm just seeing a lot of abuses of prayer from a doctrinal standpoint and there's a bunch of books I mean you can find I think one of the biggest problems in our current culture today on the concept of on, on the uh, topic of prayer is that you can pretty much find anything you want on the internet, right? You can that affirms, affirms what you what kind you of want, want to. to believe. Yeah. Um, past generations didn't have that. You had your pastor, and you had his interpretation of the scriptures, and you just dealt with that, right? You couldn't, you couldn't uh, audit sermons from all over the globe, and you know what I mean. So there is a level of of oversaturation for bad doctrine, and I think that's that's tough too. Okay, so we read Acts. 7 uh, verse 51 in the sermon Mm -hmm. and I'll read it here I have it Um, it says this is Stephen Mm -hmm. um, 
while he's being martyred, Mm -hmm. he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, you do also. So this just got me thinking, Mm -hmm. okay? It says right here that as a free agent uh, in, in God's creation, you can actually resist the Holy Spirit, which means you're resisting Him. Mm-hmm. And th- this is kind of a technical qu- question, so if this bores the listeners, but this is just on my mind. Yep. Does that uh, does a scripture like that refute this idea in Calvinism of like uh, what do they call it uh, unconditional election that yeah. God chose some? He didn't choose others, mm-hmm. or he, or, or at least he. I want to. I don't want to. Like, I don't want a strong yeah. man. Their argument, but right. that that he could see the beginning from the end, and he knew who who would or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, if we can resist the Holy Spirit, does does that kind of knock against this idea that there's the elect in like? Yeah. Just a question for you: Can we resist grace? Can we resist the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. I, I I'm Armenian in that place very strongly Armenian in that concept. I do believe that that the basis and the very foundation of a truly loving relationship has to have the element of choice. Choice. And choice can resist, uh, choice allows you to resist, choice choice allows you to embrace. Uh, I just, I can't get around it. I, I know there's some really high thinking people, probably smarter than me, who, you know, God's all knowing and he knew from the, I, I, yeah, but the, the anthill that he created this earth to be, he, in, he implanted this uh, concept of, of autonomy and free will into the people mm-hmm. so that we could, I think that's one of the reasons why we are separated from the animal kingdom as being uh, in the image of God is this concept that we have autonomy. We can, we're not working on instinct. We're not working on, we're working on mental choice as to what we're going to do, whether we're going to follow these types of things, if we're going to love or if we're going to reject. I think that is really uh, uh, the key element of the image of God on human beings. So uh, just a quick follow-up. If we can resist the Holy Spirit because of our free will, Mm -hmm. is this at least sometimes an, an answer to why your prayer might not be answered. That God is literally trying mm-hmm. to answer your prayer through his Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but you are you are the one, like these stiff-necked people of old, you're resisting the, the, the breakthrough that God has for you, that it's right there. Is, is that an outer-lying question? Because kind of to wrap up this whole series is, I just want to ask, is it sometimes... Is it just us being stiff-necked, like Stephen says to yeah. the to the Pharisees, and that's why yeah, our I mean, prayer life seems stagnant or or, or confusing or de- or whatever it is? I think that's one of the key elements of a persistent prayer life, um, because it helps us to overcome the resistance of our flesh. Right, uh, God doesn't merely override people's will to answer prayer like he, he he's not gonna if, if you're praying in a way and that's part of praying in the in we talked about early we're praying in the name of jesus this concept of the name of jesus is just not a a 
hocus pocus, uh, you know, magic phrase in the name of Jesus, right? It's praying according to the nature, the uh, volition, the will of God. Yeah, like when we say that, mm-hmm. we should mean it. Right. And, I, and I we, pray this in the name of Jesus. That yeah. I'm, I'm, and anywhere that I'm off from his nature, his desire, his will, change me, God. Right. That, that's what I'm saying. Mold me we, into we it. Can resist the, that we can resist the Holy Spirit, but that's not our desire. Our desire is to be in step. If, if you're going to live in the Spirit, we got to also walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the mm-hmm. Spirit. That should be, always be our, the, the, the baseline of prayer is God, search me, know me, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, that's, I, I, I pray that prayer almost every time I sit down to pray because I know that I'm thick, that I'm stiff-necked, that I want what I want. Yes. And I don't want what I want, ultimately. I ultimately want what God wants. So, and that's, that's a, that's a and guys, I sound like I'm like elevating myself here, but this is something I struggle with. I want to, I really do want God's will to be done. And I believe that if we pray according to the will of God, we're going to see his hand move in the, in the world we are in. But I think so often our will, especially in affluent societies, our wills uh, cause us to be stiff-necked to the modification that God actually wants to make in us to make our prayer life more effective. So what are the last big takeaways on how to pray before we move on mm-hmm. uh, in the fall to, to a different topic, which yeah. we'll address in just a second yeah. here. Um, I think my biggest statement to anybody who's praying and you're, you're, you're wanting to learn how to pray is first, be humble. He is God. You are not. Mm-hmm. It's it, your, your role in prayer is not to elevate your needs, your desires, and your wants above the work of the kingdom of God in this world. That's the first thing. Secondly, God knows you. He loves you, even in your imperfection. So imperfectly pray. Because he knows how imperfect you really are. So imperfectly pray. Don't let your imperfection keep you from praying. Mm -hmm. But be willing to let God mold, mold you in your prayer life, not just get frustrated with him. Because he is sovereign, we have to get more comfortable with the sovereignty of God. Um, so I think humility, and and just and that's part of humility is just understanding your imperfection. But don't let that keep you from praying. And uh, yeah, it's almost asking, like your your uh, your imperfection should almost be a fuel for prayer as opposed to an impediment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and the uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our our job is to try to align ourselves to what the mind of God is, the, he- the heavenly. And then, then things on this earth will start to, to really really start to pop. So I thought um, the timing of this was great because now we've we spent time how to pray. Mm-hmm. And I think what's, what's awesome about us, now we're moving on into a, a, a month-long emphasis on missions right. and mission work and missionaries. And uh, the, the Assemblies of God, that's one of their, if you want to be a part of a, I know we're not a denomination, right. but whatever we are, Fellowship a fellowship of, church. of churches yeah. mm-hmm. um, that is passionate in, about missions, right. this is really one of the ones you want to be a part of. Right. So I think no one in their right mind 
would want to or have the ability to be a missionary without mm. prayer. Right. And so that's why I wanted just to, to talk about what's next just for a bit that yep. I thought it was it was great that now we've learned how to pray, right. and now we're going to talk about something that prayer kind of is a fuel right. for. So in this next series we'll be talking about, and I invite anybody to check it out online or you know, we'd love to see you in in the seats because it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun being in the house. But um, we're talking about uh, the series is called Go Life on Mission. Go colon Life on mm-hmm. Mission, and um, for the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about this concept of go near and go far. So um, this concept of go near is, you know, one of the biggest things I problems I have with prayer is that. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church, uh, this was to, this was uh, meant to empower the people of the church to share the gospel, to 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 be the light in the world. And I think one of the things that we have to get better at—I know I do—is getting up off of our knees and going like actually putting our prayer life into action. Uh, so often we feel like we're done when we get up from our prayer time. It's almost like you you drop the blueprint mm-hmm. and then God's supposed to build the house. Right. But really, nope. it's not, that's nope. not how it it's works. not how it works. So we pray and then we go do it. And whether that means into your neighborhood or the cubicle mate next to you at work or supporting missionaries financially, being a good steward of what God gives us so mm-hmm. that um, he yeah. will actually uh, allow us to um, be a, a person that he pours his blessings through, not to, but through. Mm-hmm. Um, or, hey, accepting the call to a vocational foreign mission field. I mean, these are all vitally important things. And, uh, you know, everybody needs the gospel exactly the same. The... the, the uh, Refugee in uh, Ukraine, coming out of Ukraine, needs it as much as your neighbor in the cubicle next to you. So it, the whole world is our mission for and we And we talk a lot about how the West is materially comfortable. Mm. And that's almost the challenge of saying, because that is true, mm-hmm. so many of us should be taking that material comfort Absolutely. to be able to help missions, mission programs, et cetera. I, I feel like uh, our affluence has actually made us impoverished in the way that God has given us a talent and we're just burying it in our own backyard when he wants us to take the blessings he gives us and steward them properly. Then he can open up the windows of heaven and pour us out blessings because he knows we're going to use them for his purposes and his kingdom. And that's what missions does. So prayer, pray, and then go. Go pray, do it. Pray and go. So that that's that's where we're at here at New Life Church. And listen, so this is the end of season one. It's the been rewind. a lot of fun, yeah. I can't believe we actually did this. Yeah. I remember um, when it was just this like idea that, yeah. I don't even know whose idea it was. The story of David was. was the first one, right? We were doing that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. started. So we did David, Summer Baggage, yeah. How to Pray. I think yeah. that's what we did. Yeah. And so I hope you enjoyed your time with us. Um, these are going to stay up if you ever want to share them with a friend or revisit them. Um, please, if you if you can do us a favor, 
Leave us a comment, like, follow, subscribe. We don't know what the future of the podcast is yet, but we will be in touch with you. Uh, Pastor Dave, any final thoughts on season one, The Rewind? I think it was great. I think one of the uh, things I would love to uh, incorporate more if we do this again is the feedback loop. So uh, rewind at discovernewlife.org if you want to ask a question or you want to comment on something that we've talked about, uh, whether it's uh, a criticism or it's a, a, a attaboy, uh, feel free to use that email. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. And I actually didn't tell Pastor Dave. I'm just going to tell him now. Let's get some questions. Yeah. And the next time that we have enough, mm-hmm. we'll do a special. We'll, we'll do a we'll do a Q&A special, yeah. um, even if, like, things come up in your life group or your prayer life or your devotionals that would be great. rewind at discovernewlife.org thank you so very much so listen um, that is it for us and I just want to thank you again for spending this time with us and uh, it means a lot Pastor Dave God bless everybody thanks for being with us Matthew 28